All right. If you're here this morning and you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there. And we're about to spend a moment praying together. And I want to ask Grace Community Church, I want to ask you specifically in just a moment to join me in prayer. And I just want to remind us of what needs to happen in this room this morning. There's so many needs. There's so many um, things that need to happen in, in our life. There, there are disciples of Jesus that need to be encouraged in Christ today. And may that happen. May the Lord answer our prayers. And, and, and we can call on God and we can ask God to meet us here. There are disciples of Jesus in this room that need to be confronted about things in their life. And may that happen today. But I really have a burden this morning. And my burden is this, is that there are people in this room today that do not know Christ. There are people in this room today that need salvation in Jesus. And we know, we know that the Holy Spirit can fall on them even as God's Word is being preached today. And I just stand before you, not in perfect humility, but I stand before you today as a humbled man that I can't do that. That we need the Holy Spirit in this place this morning if we are to get anything from God's Word. Today, next week, week in and week out. And so let's pray. And let's ask God to meet us here this morning. Please pray with me. Father, You are the living God. In the midst of a world of false gods, You are the one who lives. And the one who reigns. God, and we ask you to draw near to us today, Lord. God, we meet together in vain unless you draw near to us, God. Unless we hear you speak to us. And so in the name of Jesus, we come this morning. And we ask you, Lord, be gracious to us, Lord. And be kind to us today. Let us walk out of this room today not having, the, not having heard the words of a man, but the words of God. Address us today, Lord. God, I ask for Your help as I handle Your Word today. God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to speak to anyone in this room in my own strength. Help me, Lord. All over this room, God, I pray that You would help the hearers of Your Word. To lean in and give attention, God, to what You say. God, I pray and I ask that Your Gospel would be heard today and responded to, Lord. God, I pray for some in this room that You're already dealing with, Lord, about Your glorious Gospel in their soul. God, I pray You would arrest their attention, Lord, and You would not let them go any further today. Before they put their faith in You, Lord Jesus. God, we ask You for fruit, Lord. God, we ask that You would make Your Word profitable in our life today. God, save us from going through the motions today, Lord. And come meet with us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And I want to say a few things before we read our text together this morning. There's a, there's a very important background 
It's a very important context that I want us to grab before we, so to speak, parachute down into Genesis chapter 12. And so on the front end, I want to let you know that you are about to read in Genesis chapter 12. You're about to read some of the most exalted themes in all of Scripture. And what I mean by that is there are even people that have called a phrase in Genesis 12 the thesis of the entire Bible. That in Genesis 12, God gives you the summary of the whole book and then the rest of the book just unpacks Genesis chapter 12. And so I want you to think about that. Our minds are going to the heavenly places today. And we're going to be reminded of the meta-narrative of Scripture, of the story that is above every story, of the purpose of God in this world. And you know, just like me, many times when you have heard things like this, it is so helpful for us. So helpful for us to hear these exalted things in the Word of God because it has the effect of bringing our life into this blazing focus. And all of a sudden when we see these exalted themes that we're reminded in a moment of the things that really matter in life and the things that don't matter very much at all. And may the Lord give you that reminder as we give attention to God's purposes for this world. Today God intends to remind you why you are alive on planet earth. And there's nothing more important than this. And so I want to start from the very beginning of the Bible. Because God has been flashing just pieces of His purpose for this world from the very beginnings of the book of Genesis. And it's going to get really clear in Genesis chapter 12. And so let's start in chapter 1. Just a brief overview. Been a while since we've been in the book of Genesis as a local church. So we'll just start here and give everybody a fresh reminder. What does God intend to do in this world? What is God's purposes for this earth? Genesis chapter 1. We are introduced to a man named Adam. And God tells us very specifically his desire for this world. And he gives, he makes Adam and Eve in his image. And they are given the charge to be fruitful and multiply. And they are to multiply the image of God to the very ends of the earth. God is so about himself that he creates a world for himself. And that's not enough. He wants image bearers all across the world glorifying his holy name. That is the God of Scripture. He made everything for himself. And Adam was given that charge. Genesis chapter 1. Multiply, be fruitful and get the image of God to the ends of the earth. And the Bible says that as he did that. As he would have been faithful to do that, he would have spread the kingdom of God to the very ends of the earth. He would have expanded it out of the Garden of Eden. And what God had in mind in Genesis chapter 1 is an entire planet that bowed down to him as king and worshipped him as Lord of all. You get this kingdom language in Genesis chapter 1 with the word dominion. Dominion. Listen to Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Just, 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 just a flash. First chapter of the Bible, just a flash of God's intention for the world that we live in, that he wants to rule over it all. He wants image bearers surrounding the globe, worshiping His holy name, taking dominion in His holy name. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Adam and Eve, they miserably failed this mission. Two chapters in, Genesis chapter 3, they rebel against God as their king. They didn't obey their mission that God gave them. They rebelled against God. The Bible says that the moment they did that was the very moment... That sin entered into the world. And the stages are set, right? God's purposes of the world are stated. And then it looks like, in Genesis chapter 3, it looks like God's purposes for this world are being thwarted by human sin. So it's like God God wants to do this, but it looks like this is going to stop Him. And then, after God, in the midst of God judging that rebellion... Of Adam and Eve, we find the first mention of the gospel in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the midst of judgment, God promises mercy. And He promises Eve that a seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. In the midst of judgment, God extends mercy to rebellious humanity. And He restates His purposes for the world. The serpent's not going to win. There's going to be a seed of the woman and he's going to arise and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. So God's purpose for the world restated. He's going to win. He's going to have victory in this world. But you're reading it and it's like a repeat over and over again. Just a few chapters later in Genesis, Genesis chapter six, you find that all of humanity is in rebellion against God. Just three chapters later. And the rebellion and the wickedness of man is so great in Genesis chapter 6 that the God of the Bible determines that He is going to send a global flood on planet earth. And He is going to wipe out every human being except for eight people. Eight people. He extends a promise of mercy in the form of an ark of salvation. And eight people, Noah and his family, climb into that ark and they ride out the flood waters of judgment. And as the flood waters reside and those eight human beings step out of the ark of salvation, God's purposes for the world are restated again. Again. God's going to make a new start with this man Noah and with his family. So you have this tension. Again, God's purpose for the world is to cover the earth with His image bearers, worshipers, spreading His kingdom and His dominion. You have human sin and it looks like it's thwarting it, but He starts it again with Noah. Fresh start after the global flood. But it happens again. Just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 12... Humanity, we find humanity doing the thing that we do best. Rebelling against God. Sinning against God. And you zone in to, to, to what is referred to as the Tower of Babel. And humanity, 
has participated in this organized rebellion against God. And they say, we will build a tower to the heavens. Translation, we will storm God's lair. He's not greater than us. We will make a name for ourselves. We will storm His domain in the Tower of Babel. And it looks like instead of a world full of worshipers, a world full of image bearers, a world full of the kingdom of God reigning, it looks like the very opposite again. And the God of Scripture comes down in judgment at the Tower of Babel and He scatters the nations. The beginnings of the peoples of the earth. And it looks like again, it looks like human sin has thwarted the purpose of God. And that's where we've left it in the book of Genesis. It looks like sin has won until we get to the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. It is through this man that God intends to make a new beginning. And we can say this on the front end, that God's purposes for this world will not be stopped by human sin. He keeps coming back. He keeps pursuing His purpose. Nothing can stop Him from accomplishing what He has destined for planet Earth. And you see this purpose restated in Abram's life, but this time it comes... Not like a flash and not like a whisper. This time it comes with tremendous vividness. That the things before, the, the offspring of the woman, the ark of salvation, these are little whispers of what God intends to do. But this is like God shouting in a trumpet. I am going to do this in this world through this man. And this is where we're introduced to Abram in Genesis Chapter 11, through this man, God will bless all the nations of the earth. Through this man, God will extend his dominion to the very ends of planet earth. And so our word for you today before we read this text is you are being reminded in Abram's life through these promises, you are being reminded of the only thing that matters in this world. The only thing that matters in the, at the end of the day in this world is God and his glory. Therefore, the proper response to these things for you today is that you would receive that, that your life only makes sense to the degree that it connects to the purposes of God in this world. That's the only way human life makes sense in planet Earth. If your life is completely disconnected from the purposes of God for planet Earth, your life is absolutely pointless. And God intends to, for that to be right in your life today. He intends to get your attention through these exalted things that He intends to do through Abram and his offspring. So with that theme in mind, God's purposes for the earth restated. Let's read our text in Genesis chapter 12. Read it with me, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him 
And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother, and all their possessions and they, that they had gathered, and the people that they acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him there. And from there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of God to Grace Community Church this morning. And our prayer is that He would bless it as we study it together. I want you to notice that the passage begins with the call of God. The call of God on Abram's life. In verse 1, you get this very simple word. Go. Go. God places a moral demand on Abram in the form of the word go. It's really important that you understand the context behind what God is calling Abram to do. And so we're going to spend just a minute on that this morning. If you back up into Genesis chapter 11, you you find a little bit more about Abram and his family. You find out his daddy's name is Terah. You find out he had two brothers, one who died. And you find out that they were, their homeland was referred to as Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans. Acts chapter 7, when it refers back to where this family came from, it calls it the region of Mesopotamia. This is where the family is. You have a father, you have three brothers in Ur of the Chaldeans in an area known as Mesopotamia. The people that populated that area were known as the Chaldeans. And they were involved in lunar worship. Lunar worship. That means that the Chaldeans worshipped the moon as a false god. And they gave him a name. He was the supreme deity of the Chaldeans. And the name of the moon god was Nana. Not real complicated. But they worshipped Nana, the moon god, as the supreme deity. And the focus that's drawn in... In that Genesis 12, you get, you get the focus in two cities in Mesopotamia. One is Ur, and the other is a city called Haran. Haran. And they're both places that Abram lands before he journeys towards the land of Canaan, where God calls him. So the important thing to note is that both of these cities were the chief places of worship in Mesopotamia. They were the chief cities where the deity Nana was worshipped. And the way that this happened in this Chaldean time period was they chunked up these massive structures called ziggurats. Ziggurats, pagan temples. We talked about this a little bit at the Tower of Babel. That these false places of worship, there were these massive foundations of stone. 
And there was a tower laid in the top of these ziggurats. And the, and the pagans believed that if I get as high as I possibly can, I can meet with God. And so you had these massive towers to the heavens called ziggurats. And that's how the pagans worshipped the false gods. That same mindset became a snare to the people of Israel because that's the same mindset behind the high places in Israel that were not torn down. If I can get as high as I possibly can, then I can meet with God. It is a physical monument of salvation by human works that He doesn't have to come down to me. I can make my way up to this false God. And so this is the chief place where the moon god was worshipped is where Abram lived. His entire life for 75 years. One was Ur, one was Haran. In 1920, there's an archaeologist that actually uncovered one of these ziggurats in Ur of the Chaldeans. And this thing is massive. Massive. The tower that stands on top of the foundation fell a long time ago. We have no, no idea how tall it was. But the foundation itself is a hundred feet tall. It's a hundred feet in the sky. These are massive pagan structures erected for the worship of false gods. So this was the chief place of worship in Mesopotamia. And in those cities, those ancient primitive cities, everything in those cities would have revolved around that pagan temple and that pagan worship. And this is where this is Abram, this is what he's immersed in. Okay? And we know from scripture that Abram and his family were immersed in the worship of false gods. So I want to read that to you from Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. And they served other gods. The man was a moon worshiper. The man was a moon worshiper. A worshiper of false gods. And so I want you to see this. The call of God. That comes to Abram in this chapter is a call to leave false religion. A call to turn his back on false gods. He says three specific things to Abram. In chapter 12 verse 1 he tells him to go away from his land. The place where he always lived. And then he tells him to leave his kindred. To turn his back on the people that he descended from. So he has this ethnic identity and he has this culture that he's a part of. And God says, leave it. Turn your back on it. And the last thing he mentions is he is to leave his father's house. And that's his daddy. That the Lord God called him to turn his back and walk out from everything he knew in his life. Even his own family. And so I want you to see that the call that God places on Abraham is a tremendously costly call. It is costly if Abraham answers that call from the Lord God. And to make it even costlier, listen. In verse 1, it finishes with this phrase. To the land that I will show you. 
So, to just, to just make it even more costly for Abraham, Abram, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's leaving everything that he's known, everything that is dear to him, everything that is comfortable to him, and the only consolation that he has is the Lord God said, I'll tell you where we're going when we get there. That's it. He has the, the authoritative call of God that's placed on his life. And I want you to know that that call of Abraham is very, very much like the call of the gospel where the Lord Jesus Christ looks at every single one of us and he says, follow me, follow me. Abram was called to leave his false gods and so are we, so are we. We said this many times at Grace Community Church. We can be very confused about what idolatry looks like in Western, modern Western culture. That you might not build a ziggurat and jump up in it and worship the moon god. But we know, we know that all of us without exception in this room, prior to responding to Jesus Christ, we worship ourselves. We worship images, especially the image that we saw in the mirror. We worshiped ourselves. And the call of the gospel, just like it came to Abram, it comes to us that you have to renounce false gods. You have to turn your back on false religions. He had to leave false gods and so do we. He had to make a radical break with the past and so do we. Jesus looks at a crowd and He says, if anyone puts his hand to the plow and looks back, He is not fit for the kingdom of God. He makes radical demands on a human being. Just like what you see happening in Abraham is the call of the gospel. Abram was called from living for this world. And God called him to live for the world to come. And Jesus calls us to do the exact same thing. You can say it like this. He calls us to lose our life. And find our life in Him. I want to read this explicitly to you. In Mark chapter 8. Jesus has not called you to bow your head and pray a prayer. Jesus has called you to lose your life. And find your life in Him. Mark chapter 8 verse 35. For whoever would save his life. Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's. Will save it. And then he says this. For what does it profit a man? To gain the entire world. And forfeit his soul. If you don't answer that call from Jesus Christ. He says what would it profit you? If you gain the entire world in your arms. And you didn't answer that call of the gospel. And you forfeited your soul. The same call that went out to Abraham has gone out to every person in this room. Lose your life and find your life in Christ. This call is authoritative. It's authoritative. But that is not all God says to Abraham. He doesn't just say leave and I'll tell you what's, what happens when we get there. He leans into this man. And he stoops down and he gives Abram glorious glorious promises of I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this. And these promises, they actually frame up the entire Bible. 
These promises are restated to Isaac, Abraham's son, and Jacob, Isaac's son. They set the trajectory for the whole book of Genesis. And after that, they set the trajectory for the entire book of the Bible. Of what God has sworn to do in Abram and his offspring. So we're going to move through these promises one by one. Let's start with the first one. Verse 2, God promises, leans in. And graciously promises this moon worshiper, I will make you a great nation. Verse 2. I will make you a great nation. Lord promises to make him a powerful nation. And that includes land and political power. Both of those things. Land and people. Land for the nation to exist. People for the nation to, to be populated by. Land and people. There's something really important about that promise. Kent Hughes, Pastor Kent Hughes, he calls these promises that God gives Abram, he calls them assaults on reality. Assaults on reality. You need to be aware of that. That the man who God told that to was a childless man. He had no child. His wife was barren. God looks at a man who has no path forward. He, he sees no way forward into, physically with his eyes into him ever being a great nation. But God tells a childless man with a barren wife, I will make you a great nation. Ken Hughes says that promise of God assaulted that man's reality. Assaulted that man's reality. I want us to pause right there and I want to ask you that question. When is the last time that the Word of God assaulted reality in your life? We need to be reminded, this is a repeat that how God deals with human beings over and over and over again. So I just ask you to meditate on that. When is the last time that the Word of God assaulted reality in your life and you landed on the Word of God and not what you could see with your own eyes or feel with your own emotions? This is the place where we find this man. God's promises assaulting reality. And God was calling Abram to take him at his word. And that's it. So I want you to see that. Of how the Lord God is dealing with this man. That he could have given him some things. Some physical evidence of what he was going to do with his eyes. Some things I could see. Some things I could touch. Some things I could hear. Smell. Touch. Physical things. But instead, in the Lord God's dealing with this man, all he gives him is his word and nothing else. I will do this. And he puts the man in a crisis of will he take God at his word in spite of everything that he cannot see with his eyes. And we're going to find out how Abram responds to this call. Let's move on to the second promise that God gives him in verse two. He says, not only I will make you a great nation. But he says, I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you and make your name great. I want you to think about the contrast to the Tower of Babel that we just talked about. This is the exact opposite. The very next chapter of Scripture of the Tower of Babel. So at the Tower of Babel, man, we look at each other, sinful, rebellious man. And we say, oh, we got an idea. Let's build a tower to the heavens and exalt the name of man. God tears it down with His judgment. And the very next chapter said, Hey, i got a better idea. How about I exalt a man that will call on the name of the Lord? 
See, the very opposite thing happens that God exalts the one who will worship him. God exalts the man who will call on his holy name. It's the exact opposite of what happens in Genesis chapter 12. And so God's promise to give Abram a great name is synonymous with promising Abram that he will be a royal figure, a king, that kings will come from this man's line, kings and princes. He will have a great name like the great ones of the earth. And then at the very end of that uh, phrase in verse 2, he says um, this, that he will give him uh, that, that, that kingdom, that royal title, that he will give him that great name for the purpose of being a blessing to others. For the purpose of being a blessing to others. So he doesn't say, I will make your name great so everybody worships you. He says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And this is a theme that we see run through the entire Bible. That God gives authority not to be served, but to serve, to be a blessing to others. So we get God's plan being restated of how he's going to do this thing. Move to the third promise in verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now I want you to think about this. I want you to stop and think about this promise. That's an amazing thing. And it's a confusing thing. Because if you really thought about that for more than just a few seconds, you say, wait a second. I thought my eternal standing with God depends on what I do with God. But he just said, my eternal standing with God depends on what I do with Abram. How does that work? That's what it means. So scratch your head for a minute. How does that work? You mean that God is promising that this man will be so central, so pivotal, so foundational in God's plan for this world that God will deal with you on the basis of how you have dealt with Abram. Bless those who bless you. Curse those who dishonor you. So I want to pause right there and I want to bring another stream in into these promises. Very important that we understand this. These promises that are given to Abram, they do not find their ultimate fulfillment in Abram. That's very important. When Hebrews 12 looks back on this man named Abraham, it says that this man died in faith having not received the promise. That means that he did not fully inherit everything that God promised him. And what we find instead is that the ultimate fulfillment of these promises would come in a descendant of Abraham. And we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1 calls him the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. And this is something that the Bible explicitly teaches. That what God is promising to Abram in these verses, it actually terminates in its fulfillment on the offspring of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want everybody in the room, I want you to take a quick turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to see this. This will blow your mind. And how you read the Bible. It'll blow your mind. Galatians chapter 3. 
I'm going to read verse 16. I'll read it twice so we make sure. Wait a second. Did I read that right? Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings. Referring to many. But referring to one. And to your offspring. Who is Christ. So God says God made these promises to Abraham and his offspring. Not offspring plural. Like a bunch of offspring. But offspring singular. Like one chosen individual. That would descend from the line of Abraham. That would be the ultimate fulfillment of these promises. And that seed of Abraham is the seed of the woman. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. All the promises find their fulfillment in him. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And so I want to walk that back into these promises. The ultimate fulfillment of these promises that God is making to Abram is Jesus. So let's walk back through that. Ultimately, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who will be made a great nation. Ultimately, that's Jesus. Same truth. Ultimately, it's Jesus Christ who's going to be given a great name. In fact, listen, Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says that he has been given the name that is above every name. Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. Listen to me very closely. The name that He has been given has such authority that it is guaranteed that every human being will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how much authority this King has. He is the offspring of Abram who has been given the greatest of names, the highest of rulers. So let's land on that third promise for just a moment. He is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. God will deal with you on the basis of how you have dealt with the descendant of Abram, the Lord Jesus Christ. God will deal with you on the basis of how you have dealt with the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. If you bless Him, God will bless you. If you dishonor Him, God will curse you. Every human being's destiny before God is determined by what they do with Jesus Christ. The offspring of Abram. And once you understand that trajectory of these Christ-centered promises to Abram, then this fourth promise makes uh, uh, way more sense. Let's look at it in verse 3. He looks at Abram and he says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now let's back up for a second. What is God not promising? And what God is not promising is that every individual in the world will be blessed by the descendant of Abram. He's not saying that. He's saying that every family, another way to translate that is every clan in all the world will be blessed in the descendant of Abraham. When this promise is carried to the other patriarchs, it says all the nations of the earth will be blessed 
in Him. And so the promise is explicitly that all across planet earth, in the midst of every people group, there are some in the midst of those families, in the midst of those nations, that are going to find blessing in the descendant of Abram. When the Bible looks back to that phrase in Genesis chapter 12, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen to this. The Bible says that God just preached the gospel to Abraham. I want to prove that to you in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. If you're still there, please read this. Please read this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this. And Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram. Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Beautiful promise of God. And that just breaks down all kind of paradigms in our mind. Such as, wait a second. We're in Genesis. And you're talking about the gospel. But there's a problem because we're in Genesis. And you know, the Old Testament is about the law, not the gospel. And then you've got to wait to the New Testament to get to the gospel. That verse just put a new uh, uh, next to that idea and exploded it to a thousand smithereens. And what God is telling us is that this is the only way that any human being has ever been made right before God is through the gospel. That's it. God's purpose is for this world to redeem a people for himself, to put people in right relationship with him. It's never come any other way than through Jesus Christ. Never. It's a beautiful promise that God leans in and gives to this man that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Purposes of God restated. God will not be defeated in His purposes for this world. He's going to bring blessing to the nations through Abraham and his descendants. I want you to notice very specifically in Galatians chapter 3, what kind of blessing are we talking about? Are we talking about Rolls Royces and Mercedes? Look at what it says and how it specifically defines that blessing in Genesis chapter 3. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. Justification by faith is called the blessing of Abraham in Scripture. What is God saying in this passage? He's saying this. That I, the Holy One, am making a way for sinful, rebellious human beings to be made right with God. And I'm making this way available to all nations of the earth. This is the blessing of Abraham. Justification by faith. So get a glimpse of that. How is God going to fulfill His purposes for this world? He wants worshipers. He wants the image of God spread shore to shore. A globe 
that, that proclaims His reign and His dominion. How's He going to do it? He's going to justify sinners by faith. He's going to take their sins upon the body of His own Son. He's going to be punished instead of them. He's going to offer them the free gift of righteousness. The blessing of Abraham. This is the Gospel. Twelve chapters into the Bible. Not just the God of judgment, the God of righteousness, but the God of grace and mercy. Saying, I'm going to make this available to every nation on planet earth. We get a glimpse of the character of God. The character of God. He could have said after Babel, I'm going to crush them. You're not going to build a tower up to me. I'm going to crush you. But instead, he says one chapter later, I'm going to crush the son instead of you. And all the families of the earth are going to find justification through the descendant of Abraham. Nobody in this room deserves to hear language like this. Nobody. God is talking to a moon worshiper in this passage of Scripture. And He's talking about blessing and justifying a man who has spent 75 years in God's world worshiping idols. And all of a sudden He finds grace and mercy and blessing through the offspring of Abram. That's a merciful God and this is a glorious Gospel. It's a glorious Gospel. This is God's plan for this world. That His image bearers scattered through the earth would respond to this offer of blessing through the descendant of Abraham. I want you to see this as gracious and as serious. Gracious and as serious. I'm included in this when I say this. Nobody in this room deserves to have these things roll across our ears. The wages of our sin is death. We don't deserve to gather into a place like this and hear salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So you don't even deserve to hear these things. And look how gracious God has been to you today. To make these things so clear. Justification by faith. And I want to remind you before we move forward of how serious this is. God has sworn in His Word. God has promised to you that He will deal with you on the basis of how you deal with Jesus. He will deal with you on the basis of how you respond to this Gospel. To His plans for all the nations of the earth. And I'm here today to encourage you that if you honor Him, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you hear this salvation offer from sin, and that is like the best news that you can ever imagine, and you wrap your arms of faith around the Lord Jesus, and you say, I trust you, I receive you as my salvation. I receive this as a free gift. I can't work for this. He says He will honor you. If you honor the Son, He will honor you. But my warning to you is that if you dishonor Him, He will curse you. He has sworn this. If you dishonor the descendant of Abraham, He will curse you. And I want you to know that you can dishonor Him in an overtly rebellious way. Like, man, get that out of here. He will curse you. But listen, you can also dishonor Jesus by being bored with the stuff that we're talking about right now. 
It is dishonoring for people who don't even deserve to hear the name of Jesus Christ. To think about some silly, petty things instead of thinking about this glorious thing that God has done for us. It's dishonoring to Christ if you don't hear this with tremendous sincerity. The best news that God has given any human being. If you dishonor Him through your disinterest in Him, listen, He will curse you. He will deal with you on the basis of how you deal with Jesus. This is God's plan for the world. And your life only makes sense in lining up with God's plan for His entire creation. Let's move to that last promise in verse 7. God says, to your offspring I will give this land. To your offspring I will give this land. There's a few things happening in this text that come back to Genesis chapter 9. There's a little incident that happens in Genesis chapter 9 with Noah and his three sons. And, and two of those sons receive some form of blessing. One is Shem. Guess who the descendant of Shem is? Abram. So this is fulfilling the name blessing to Shem. Another of the blessing in Genesis chapter 9 comes to a son named Japheth. And the fulfillment of that is the nations, the Gentiles finding blessing in the seed of Abram. But there's also a cursed man in Genesis chapter 9. One of the cursed descendants of Ham. His name is Canaan. God cursed him. And this is the fulfillment to that promise. God says to Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. And the sovereign Lord has ordained to take this land away from cursed Canaan and give it to blessed Abram. This is the fulfillment of those promises in Genesis chapter 9. But listen, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you think about the promised land. And one is this. You can lose sight of the very uh, previous promise that we just talked about. God's plan is for all the families of the earth. God is, God's plan is for all the nations of the world. And so when He says to, to your offspring, I will give this land, this is only the beginning of God's kingdom. This is only the beginning of that global story of the kingdom of God expanding out to the ends of the earth. It is in this land that God will establish this Israelite kingdom. And then through that line, Israel, the king of kings ascends the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, once he ascends and sits on the throne of heaven, the land promises of the old covenant are expanded out to include the entire earth. Listen to this in Romans chapter 4 verse 13. God looks back on the promises that God made to Abraham and He calls him this. Romans 4.13 calls Abram, the, the Abraham the heir of the world. The heir of the world. God told him He was going to give him the land, but when the Apostle Paul looks back on that, he interprets it, expands it out, and he says that Abraham was promised the world, the entire earth. This is a theme that gets picked up on in some of the Psalms of the Old Testament. That the Messiah's dominion is going to far exceed just the land of Israel. Listen to this. 
Psalm 72, verse 8. May He have dominion from sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before Him. And His enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarsus and of the coastlands render Him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before Him and all nations serve Him. That is the appointed destiny of this world. Is the entire globe prostrate and bowed down in submission to King Jesus. Reigning from sea to sea. From river to the ends of the earth. You want to know God's purpose for the world? That's it. Jesus is going to reign over every square inch of all that He has made. This is the appointed destiny for planet earth. To your offspring, I will give this land. Last thing we see here in this text, we're going to move through this quickly, is Abram responds. God calls him out authoritatively. God gives him these gracious promises. But the text just—it clearly tells us that he responded. He responded. He just didn't think about these things. He responded to God. And the text tells us exactly how he did that. Beginning in verse 4. It tells us that he obeyed the call. Listen, all that stuff that we said before. Leaving false religion. Leaving daddy. Leaving mama. Leaving land. Leaving culture. All those costs of obedience. He did it. He costly obeyed the Lord God's demand on his life. At 75 years old, with no idea where he was going, the Word of God was enough for this man. So you have human life stripped down to its bare necessity, to the bare essentials. And isn't that encouraging to us? So peeling off all the modern things in our life that complicate our life, peel it off, peel it off. What really matters? Peel it off, peel it off. At the very core, what really matters is a man or a woman hearing the Word of God, believing it and responding to it. Your whole life is wrapped up in that. Trusting and obeying the Word of God. And this is what we see in this man's life. Simple faith. God said it and I believe it. Simple obedience. God laid a demand down in my life and I'm obeying Him. And He said I'd know more when I get there. Simple faith and simple obedience. The Bible tells us that He left the land of Haran, came into the land of Canaan. And then listen to what it describes Him doing after verse 4. He comes into this land and in verse 7 The text says that he builds an altar. He builds an altar in Canaan. Verse 6 tells us where he does that. He does that in a city named Shechem. Specifically at at an oak of Moray. So here we go. What's significant about that? He gets in the land. Obedience to God. And he goes to the very bullseye center of the map. The heart of the map. Shechem. Go to the back of your uh, Bibles and you see a little map. If you were to draw a bullseye, it's sitting right in the middle of it. So he goes right in the middle of the promised land. And, and, and this oak of Morat, it, it is a pagan worship site. 
It is a site where false gods are worshipped, where oracles are received. In fact, this very site at Shechem becomes a snare to Israel and false worship later on through the kings and chronicles. So he goes straight to the bullseye center of the land, straight to this, this place where false gods are worshipped, and he chunks up an altar. Chunks up an altar. What are we supposed to see here? I think the message is clear. That Abram believed the word of God. And he builds this physical structure. And with him doing that, it's a a sign of his faith that he believes the promise of God. But it's also an assault on pagan worship. He went, this is like going into Mecca and chunking up a Jesus statue. Not that you should build Jesus statues. It is a public offense to pagan worship. He chunks up an altar for the promise of God. And, and that standing that is a standing reminder that the Lord God will be worshipped in this land. To His offspring, I will give this land. So I want you to think about that. That sounds kind of like the world that we live in. That God has promised us that Jesus is, is going to reign from sea to sea. From river to the ends of the earth. That He's going to have all dominion. That He's going to strike the nations with a rod of iron. But you know what? At any given moment in this world, you can look around your life and you can see false gods being lifted up instead of Jesus Christ all over this planet. And so just think about that. What would it look like for you to do the same thing that He did? He chunked up an altar of confidence in God, confidence in the promise of God, and assault on pagan worship in this world, what would it look like for you to respond to the promises of God in the same way that you walk around in this world with a settled confidence that your God is going to reign over all that He has made? All that He has made. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So when we walk with this full confidence, just like Abram is expressing to God, we do the same thing. That is an assault on false worship and a glory to Jesus Christ. Taking God at His word. I want you to notice how the text finishes. Finishing through verse 8 and 9. The Bible says that Abram spent the rest of his life journeying through the promised land, camping, building altars, and calling on the name of the Lord. Think about that. No earthly accomplishments mentioned. No university started. No giant career move. No worldly attainments. Camping in the land. Journeying towards the Negev, building altars, and calling on the name of the Lord. What's he doing? He's sojourning in the land that God promised to give the Lord Jesus Christ, that God promised to give his offspring. He's a sojourner. Until the day of his death, he doesn't receive the physical things that God promised him. Hebrews 11 says he looked forward. To a city that was from heaven. Not to an earthly fulfillment. To the things that God told him. So what can we draw from this man's life? 
camping, journeying through the promised land, chunking up altars, and calling on the name of the Lord. I want to remind every believer in this room that Abraham was a sojourner and so are you. He was in this world, but he was not of this world. In fact, his life doesn't even make sense from an earthly perspective. And listen, ours shouldn't either. The things that we live for, they don't make any sense from a worldly perspective. They make no sense. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ is not raised from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our life is not to make any sense if these things aren't so. And we have this picture of a man journeying through life, taking God at His word. His, his home is not in this world. He's seeking the city that is to come. And so that's exactly how I want to close this morning. I want to encourage you, believers all across this room, I want to encourage you to be very, very careful that you are not too comfortable in this world. That I'm reminding you today of who you are. In Christ Jesus, you're a sojourner. You're an alien. You're a pilgrim. And you are in this world, but you are not of this world. And we need to look at each other often in this local body. And we need to remind each other of that. Don't get too comfortable here. You're not living for the things of this world. You're living for the world to come. And so I want to encourage you, respond to God today. Respond to the Lord today. Don't just think about these things. Don't just think, oh, you know what? That's something good for me to consider. Take it further than that and respond to God. God did not tell Abraham, hey, what do you think about leaving her? What do you think about leaving your kindred? What do you think about leaving your father's house? He said, go, go. And I want to encourage that. Respond to the God of Abraham as he identifies things in your life that you're, you're sliding into this comfortable existence. You're not, you're not taking up your cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. You're too comfortable in this world. I want us to respond to him in simple faith and simple obedience, reminding ourselves of what we signed up for. And what we signed up for was not a life of comfort but a life of taking up our cross and following Jesus Christ. Simple faith. Simple obedience. Sojourners in this world. This is exactly how Hebrews 11 looks back on Abram's life. And it holds him up as an example of a sojourner living in this world, but trusting in the Word of God. And I'll close with this. In Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's pray. Father, we ask for grace today to respond to your call in our life. God, we ask you to be gracious to us all across this room, Lord. 
that You would remind us, God, of the, the dangers of the comforts of this world and the glorious reality of following You in this world. God, we pray that You would tear our eyes away from the things of earth and that You would cause us to be men and women that are consumed with the heavenly city, with the new earth, where Christ is worshipped from shore to shore, an earth where righteousness dwells. God, remind us by the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, that though we live in this world, this world is not our home. God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters. And I pray that for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.